What is truth? That's the question Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor, asked as he's thrust into a conversation that I presume he didn't want to have with a man he was possibly hoping to avoid altogether. What is truth? It's a question that's been asked down through the ages by philosophers and by armchair philosophers, by people in casual conversation. And he wasn't asking it because he wanted to know the answer. He wanted to know what the truth was. He didn't want the truth. In fact, he was using the question to avoid coming to an answer about the truth. Most Australians talk about truth that same kind of way. They want to dismiss it. They want to relativize it. They want to, if you want, if they, if you're trying to pin them down, what they want to say is that truth, it's all a bit subjective. It's malleable. It's, it's what you like and what you don't like. There's no absolutes. There's only just preference. And not just in areas like style and food, which of course everyone's got their own tastes, but even in weighty matters like sexuality and morality, even things like justice, you can tell that they think truth is relative, that there's no absolute when it comes to justice. You think what uh, what happens when someone does something to them, commits a crime against them. They want the book thrown at them. They want their pound of flesh. They want justice. But when their mate does the same thing to the next door neighbour, well then, oh, he's a good bloke. Let's let him off. It's It's just a bit of a laugh. He won't do it again. Come on, you're taking it too seriously. It's all relative. Same crime, but... Where's the truth? What is the truth? What should be done in those situations? There's no standard. But clearest of all, you see it in terms of spirituality and what Australians want to do with spirituality. They want to say that all religions are okay, not just that you shouldn't persecute people of different beliefs and faiths, but that it's good, right and proper to believe whatever you like, to believe whatever it is that you want to believe. You want to be a Buddhist? Well, that's fine. That's good for you. If you, if you want to be a Hindu, that's okay. Uh, that's your truth. Go for it. If it's true for you, then who are we to say that it's false? It's your personal truth. They're all just ways, aren't they, to experience something divine, something of God, something to be spiritual. In fact, just pick whatever you want or nothing at all, if you like. Even even an atheist can be seen as spiritual these days. In fact, lots of atheists describe themselves as spiritual. How does that pan out when it comes to Jesus and making a decision about him? Well, most Australians would admit that he's a good guy, maybe even a top bloke. Uh, They might go that far, but they don't want to be pressed on the matter. They don't want to be pinned down. They want to sit on the fence. But if they are pushed, they'll tend to decide against him rather than for him because it just might be a bit too complicated, a bit too uncomfortable to have to admit the truth about him. They don't want to worship him. They don't want to live for him. But really deep down... I think they'd rather just avoid the issue than have to make a real decision at all. That's what Pilate was trying to do. That's Pontius Pilate all over, through and through, though he stood face to face with him. Making a decision about Jesus was the last thing 
that he wanted to do, making a decision about the man who's about to go to his death, making a decision about the man who's about to make history, about the man who's about to change the entire future of the world, in fact, who will change the spiritual realities and the makeup behind the scenes, avoiding him, avoiding making a decision about him is the last thing he wants to do. Because making that decision would have to change his loyalty, his affiliations, his interests, his very own life, his death and his eternal future. He tries everything in his power to get out of making that decision. What is truth? As we read through this astonishing count of what happened in the last hours of Jesus' life, it's plain to see the truth. It's plain to see. It's, and not just the truth about Jesus, though we'll come to that, but we see the truth about all the people involved. Let's start with the Jewish authorities. What's the truth about these religious men, these very religious men? They're absolutely determined to get rid of Jesus. They hate him. They'll stop at nothing. They've already decided he's got to go. And finally, after years of trying to quell his influence, to suppress him and persuade people not to listen to him, uh, of, of seeking his arrest even, uh, some, some assassination attempts that they've tried to pull off before and failed, finally, they've got their chance. The moment has come. They've paid off one of Jesus' closest followers with a substantial bribe. But knowing that they've got no power of their own to do what they want to do in their own courts, they come and grovel before the feet of the occupying Roman governor who they hate him also, but not quite as much as they hate Jesus. And they even admit that they can't find a good excuse, a good reason for what they're doing. Pilate asks them in verse 29, what's the charge? Give me, give me the reason that I should try him and convict him and do what you want. Give me a reason to do anything and they've got nothing. They've got nothing. All they can say in verse 30 is, well, if he wasn't a criminal, we wouldn't have brought him to you, would we? Can you imagine how that would go down in an Australian court today? You know, the, the, the guards bring in the, the guy, they say, you know, um, how do you plead? Plead to what? Uh, what's the charge? Oh, you, you are a criminal. You wouldn't be here otherwise. That wouldn't go down too well, would it? That'd be thrown out. They can't think of a charge. They can't point to one broken law. He's just a bad man. Or in the words of the life of Brian, he's just a very naughty boy. It's completely unjust. And by the end of the story, the end of the chapter, they're demanding the release of Barabbas instead of Jesus. Barabbas, who we're told was in rebellion, but who we find out in the other Gospels was a thief and a murderer, someone who's hurt them, someone who's taken their property, who's killed their countrymen for profit and done harm. So badly do they want Jesus to die that they'll demand Barabbas's release instead. But the biggest thing that we see about the truth of the Jewish authorities is their sheer and utter hypocrisy. John highlights it in verse 28. 
Then the Jews led Jesus to, from Caiaphas, who's the chief priest, to the palace of the Roman governor. By now it was early morning, and to avoid ceremonial uncleanness, the Jews did not enter the palace. They wanted to be able to eat the Passover. They were coming to Pilate to have an innocent life destroyed, but they're worried about their ceremonial uncleanness. They, they won't go into the palace to do their own dirty work because they might be defiled. They're worried about being spiritually, ceremonially unclean, religiously pure, but, but they've got murder in their hearts. Now, I don't know where they got the idea from that they'd be unclean if they went into the Roman palace, but there's no such law in the Old Testament. But wherever they got the idea from, you can't get a clearer picture of religious hypocrisy, can you? They're so careful not to break this nitpicky little religious law that, that they've made up themselves while they're willing to murder someone completely innocent who also happens to turn out to be their own Messiah. They're hypocrites. Hypocrisy is, is a pretense of the truth. It's about presenting an outward kind of truth while hiding the inner reality, looking like you're moral and superior and spiritual, but inwardly filled with murder, hate, pride. Maybe you know yourself just how easy that is to be, to put on a show, to pretend to be something that you're not, to look like you're a, a religious superior, that you've got your spirituality, your Christianity all under control, that you're the one to look to, while inwardly there's no reality of a relationship with God, no inner transformation. And so really there's just a hollow, empty, pathetic shell there. It's not pretty and it doesn't impress anyone. And it certainly doesn't impress God who sees the heart. He doesn't look at the outward self. God sees the truth absolutely. What's the truth? The Jewish leaders, they refuse to acknowledge their own Messiah. They're hypocrites and they'd rather kill him than give up their own man-made traditions. But John doesn't want us just to see the truth about the Jewish authorities. There's so much more to see. What about Peter, the, the follower of Jesus, the one who has been the spokesman of the Twelve, who has been there and has been brave? <clears throat> What's the truth about Peter? <clears throat> because he's just spawned blind just a couple of hours before over dinner that he would never, ever abandon Jesus. John chapter 13, verse 37, Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. And what does Jesus respond with over dinner? Will you really lay down your life for me? I tell you the truth, before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. Now it looks at first as if Jesus is wrong that P 
Peter's right there. He's in the garden. He, he know, you know, he's there when the soldiers come for Jesus. He even pulls a sword out of somewhere, takes a wild swing, scores a hit. Though if you're a role player, it's not a critical hit. He didn't roll the D20. He manages to get an earlobe. And uh, he doesn't attack anyone of particular significance. He doesn't go one of the soldiers or even one of the religious leaders. He gets the servant who happens to be standing there holding the robes. Uh, it's just bravado. It's, it's a show of courage. It's an adrenaline rush. But it doesn't last long and his courage really wears out very quickly. And so just as predicted, when Jesus is taken away, though he sneaks along behind just to see what's happening, he's embarrassed, he's ashamed, he's petrified even of, of anyone discovering any possible connection he might have with Jesus for whom things are now looking pretty grim. How do you reckon you would have gone? I'm not sure I would have done any better than Peter. How much, how many of us have ducked our heads, tried to avoid conversations about our faith or about Jesus? Even when the worst we've got to risk is maybe a few jokes made about us uh, or people thinking a bit strange uh, about us. Maybe we risk a few funny looks. Okay. And when we're part of the inside crowd, when we're at church, gathered with our Christian friends, oh yeah, we can, we can say, yeah, we stand for Jesus. Uh, we're all good. We're with him. But when the moment comes outside, how many of us look away and pretend to be something else? Jesus who? I don't know him. Yes, if anyone would follow that guy. What's the truth about Peter? He's weak. Though he's seen everything that Jesus is capable of, though he's heard everything he's taught, he's seen him even raise the dead, his courage fails him. And he doesn't just hide the truth of his connection with Jesus, he denies him outright. Well, what about Pontius Pilate? What's the truth about the Roman governor? Because as the chapter goes on, he really does come into the spotlight. The Roman governor, the one with Jesus' fate in his own hands. Uh, in a way, I feel a bit sorry for Pontius Pilate. He's caught in a difficult position. His job as governor is to keep the peace and collect the taxes. Uh, and he's virtually got a religious riot on his hands. In one sense, it's surprising that Pontius Pilate didn't just dismiss the crowd, send out the soldiers and, and send Jesus home. From verse 31, it's safe to say that Pilate knows the trial's at least a bit dodgy. A charge of, he's a bad man, or if he hadn't done anything, we wouldn't be here, is at best religious. And it shouldn't stick. And he really doesn't want to be involved. He tries everything to get out of it. Just like today, for, for men of authority and power, political expediency often trumps justice. Being seen to be doing something, uh, to be doing what is popular, uh, going with popular opinion, generally wins over any sense of right and wrong. So when he can't convince the Jews to take him and deal with him themselves, he summons Jesus and comes straight to the point, bang, first question out of his mouth. Are you, in fact, the king of the Jews? 
He's heard the rumours. Presumably he was there a week before when Jesus had rode into town on the back of a donkey and thousands had cried out, you know, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Here is the Messiah. And so he asks, are you in fact their king? Are you their Messiah? I'm not sure it would have mattered what Jesus said because Pilate doesn't want to accept responsibility. He doesn't want responsibility for anything. He doesn't want to be responsible for making a decision about uh, Jesus uh, on behalf of the Jews. Take Jesus back. You, you try him yourselves. He doesn't want to be responsible to Jesus. Uh, it wasn't me who brought you here. It was your own countrymen. Blame them. And when it comes to a question of justice, when he knows he's captive, he's innocent, rather than doing the right thing, uh, in order to excuse what he's about to do, he muddies the water with the dubious question that we began with. What is truth? What he's really saying is you can't claim an absolute Jesus. There is no absolute truth. I won't admit to anything. He knows the truth, but he just won't admit it. It's contemptible. Because he's a gutless wonder. And it's easier to dismiss the truth than to face it. It's easier to do what's popular rather than what's right. He makes the politically astute decision rather than the just one. He's a man pleaser rather than a God pleaser. And when the leaders refuse his offer to release Jesus, he gives in to the will of the crowd and he crucifies the innocent and frees the guilty Barabbas instead. Now, maybe you can sympathize with him because, got to admit, it's easy to do what other people want you to do rather than doing what you know is right. Uh, peer pressure is a powerful thing, and most of us have succumbed to it at some point in our life. It's easy, especially to do as kids, but maybe you're still doing it now. It's a very powerful temptation to want to look good in other people's eyes. But powerful as it is, it's evil, it's wrong, it's hopeless, it's destructive. What is the truth? The truth is that Pilate won't stand up for what he knows is right. And when push comes to shove, he'd rather kill Jesus than face the political consequences of freeing him. Which brings us finally to Jesus, the man who this is all about, the man who the gospel's all been about, the, the man who, for whom this moment has been looming larger and larger, who has been driving towards this. After all, he's the one who Pontius Pilate put the question to in the first place. What is truth? What is the truth? about Jesus. The truth is, and it's unmistakable, it's right in our faces all the way through the gospel and all the way through these moments and events, right even now. The truth is that Jesus is the King. And not a king like we have kings and queens today who are quaint figureheads of state who you know, wheeled out because it's good for the tourism trade. They've got to put in an appearance, but they've got no real decision-making power. They can't change laws. They can't do anything. But I mean in the real sense of kingship, 
you know, pre-Reformation, Middle Ages kind of kings with true power, with justice and authority in their hands, a king whose word is law, a king who has life and death, your life and death in his hands. That's the kind of king Jesus is. That's who Jesus is. He is the king who holds your life and my life in his hands. He's Last week we saw on Good Friday just how powerful, how much authority he has. As the traitor comes and 600 armed, trained Roman soldiers with one word, he just takes them down just by speaking. He asked back there in verse 4, Who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. I am he, or I am, as we saw. Jesus said, and Judas the traitor was standing there with them. And when Jesus said, I am, they drew back and they fell to the ground. 600 trained and armed soldiers, as well as all the Jewish authorities in their dress robes, all fall before him. And for no other reason than he speaks, claiming to be God, the great I am, exercising the power of God over them. He's a king totally in control, supreme in power. He could walk away now if he wanted to, just moonwalk right out in front of them, but he doesn't. He's choosing to give his life. He allows them to take him. And through the various trials that happen throughout the chapter, he's totally in control. He's never unaware of what's happened. He's never taken by surprise. There's no question that trips him up. He's never confused. He's never on the back foot. Right from the start, he's the one who's directing the discussions. He's the one forcing the issues. And as the trial before Pilate comes to its climax and and starts Jesus on the road to his death, the briefest of dialogues highlights this most profound and essential and supreme truth about Jesus. Are you the king of the Jews? Pilate asks, verse 33. Answer, my kingdom is not of this world. You are a king then, verse 37. Answer, you're right I'm saying in saying I am king. In fact, for this reason I was born and for this reason I came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. Objective truth. True truth, not personal truth, not opinion, not preference, not what you want to be true. This is the truth. And everyone on the side of truth must listen to him. They will listen to him. And all that Pilate can do to get out of it is to deny that there is any truth. What is truth, he asks. It's the ultimate way to weasel out of being trapped by facts and logic. It's the equivalent of a child closing their eyes and putting their hands on their ears and saying, no, 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 I don't believe it, it's not true. But here's the truth about Jesus. He is the king. He's the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. And as the king, he lays down the fundamental divides in reality. 
between right and wrong, between in and out, between true and false. He is the king and he will not be challenged. And if you want to be on God's side, you've got to go with him. There's no alternative. That is the truth. It's not relative. It's not opinion. It's not preference. It's the way it is. It is the truth. And the final proof of it will come in the next 24 hours of his life as the gospel moves to its awesome conclusion, which we'll look at next week. So tune in then. But for now, I just want to conclude by focusing on the incredible and perhaps terrifying challenge that the truth of Jesus confronts us with. For here is someone who is not to be trifled with, who cannot be messed with. You can't muck around with Jesus. You can't just dismiss him. He is the Lord of Lords. And because he's the Lord, he's the one with all power and might. And then what he says matters. Indeed, what he says is the truth. He defines reality. And so what he says in terms of morality, what he says in terms of sexuality, what he says in terms of justice, what he says in terms of spirituality, it trumps any other idea which might be opposed to it. Our society might like to pretend that everything's relative and it's inconsequential and it doesn't matter what you believe, but it's not true. The truth is not relative when it comes to him. And there's devastating consequences to living a lie. There's devastating consequences to living any lie, devastating consequences in this life, but even more devastating consequences in the life to come over this truth, devastating consequences for denying him and defying him because he is the king. And so if we're on his side, the side of truth, the side of God, then we're not to be hypocrites. Don't be a hypocrite like the Jewish authorities. They're so worried about looking religiously clean while inside they're full of hate and murder and they hate God and his ways. They really don't want to follow, uh, and but they want to look good. Don't be embarrassed about Jesus like Peter was, uh, about being known to be his and, and he willing to deny your own faith when there's just a whiff of trouble. Don't be like that. And we're not to be people pleasers like Pontius Pilate. Uh, he, he may have been clever. He may have been clever enough to be able to finesse and finagle and smooge his whole way through life to maintain his prestige, his power and position, but God sees right through it. And Jesus will hold us to account if we continue down that path. And so if we've been those kind of things in the past, the hypocrite, the people, the person who's embarrassed about Jesus or the man-pleaser rather than the God-pleaser, maybe that's the way things are now, then it's time to stop, to admit the truth about yourself, to fully embrace the truth of Jesus, to throw yourself on his mercy and forgiveness. And the good news is that's what he's in the business of doing. That's what he's bringing. That's what he does. 
How does he use his supreme, almighty power? Though he could have escaped, though he could have just slipped the bonds and moonwalked out if he wanted to, though he could have just slain a lot of them where they stood, even right there and then. Instead, he gave his life into their hands to do great evil to him and finally to kill him. Why? He did it willingly because he so loved the world. He so loved us that he would give his life as a sacrifice to bring peace, forgiveness and mercy from God to us. He did it to free those who were captive to lies, to bring us into the light of truth, the glorious light that brings joy, that brings eternity, that brings everything from God. He's the king who gave his life for you. That is the truth. It's not relative. It's not a matter of opinion. Stop avoiding it. Just accept it. Know the truth. As Jesus said back in chapter 8, it's good to know the truth because the truth, especially the truth about him, will set you free. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for these challenging words and we pray, please, that you might work in our hearts. Help us not to be hypocrites like the Jewish authorities were. Help us to really have a relationship with you inside to be transformed by Jesus. Father, please help us to stop pretending with you and pretending with other people to want what our outward show is to be the inner reality. Father, transform us. Forgive us for our hypocrisy. Father, help us not to be like Peter, embarrassed, ashamed about Jesus, about our connection with him. Help us to rejoice, to be proud, to stand, uh, stand out from the crowd and to say, no, he is the way, the truth and the life. I am his and he is mine. And Father, help us not to be like Pontius Pilate, a man-pleaser rather than a God-pleaser. Father, forgive us for those times when we've gone with the crowd, when we've joined in with things we know displease you, when we've sought popularity rather than right. Father, have mercy on us and thank you that the truth is that Jesus is the King, the King who gave his life for us. Father, help us to be those who throw our lot in with him, who come to him for mercy every day, who are transformed as we walk with him, as we read his word, as we, as your spirit works in us to transform us, that we might follow his example, that we might walk in his life, that we may serve humbly as he did. Father, please work this amazing work in us. Thank you for the promises that you give us of heaven and joy in, in this kingdom that uh, is so precious and wonderful that will never fail. And thank you that that is our home. Help us now as aliens and strangers in this world, as we live in other kingdoms now, not to be have our citizenship here, but to have our citizenship in your kingdom, trusting and following, relying on the King Jesus. We thank you. That is the truth. Please may it work its way through our very fibre and being.
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.